You're listening to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast, episode 48, hosted by me, Robert Plotkin. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Nick Wolney, a marketing and media strategist for coaches, consultants, and entrepreneurs. Nick has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Men's Health, and Elephant Journal, to name a few media outlets, for his expertise on productivity, automation, and self-improvement. Recently, he's been featured on Fox with segments on digital decluttering and how to curb your smartphone addiction. You can find out more about Nick and learn his tips by going to his site, nickwolny.com. That's N-I-C-K-W-O-L-N-Y.com. I'm extremely pleased to welcome Nick Wolney to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. You're about to hear Nick Wolney give some great suggestions for reintroducing boundaries into your device time so you can gain back some balance into your digital life. And I'd like to give a tip today that will supplement what Nick said. And that is to monitor how much time you actually use your smartphone and other devices. There's a lot of easy ways to do that. These days, you can use an app like Moment or the screen time feature that's now built into the iOS. Now, you need to be careful. You don't want to get addicted to tracking your time and spend all of your time monitoring how much time you're using. (laughs) But if you spend maybe one minute a day at the beginning, or maybe a minute at the beginning, a minute at the end of the day, taking a look at your device time usage, you can break it down by type of app. You may be really surprised at how much you're actually using your phone. And I find, and many people find, that just getting a glimpse into the actual empirical data about how much you're using your device and what you're using it for can motivate you to change your behavior. So give it a shot with just very little time each day, see if monitoring your device time can help you introduce some changes into your habits. I hope you enjoy the upcoming interview with Nick Wolney in which he'll talk a lot more about his own experience with overuse of technology and how he has reintroduced boundaries and limits to regain some sanity in his life and be more productive and happy. Hi, Nick, and welcome to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Robert. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, and I'd love to just get started on talking about how you got into the topic of smartphone and digital distraction and addiction, given that your your main work is as a marketing and media strategist for for coaches and consultants and entrepreneurs. What is it either related to that work or not that got you into being concerned about and wanting to help people? with smartphone addiction. Absolutely. You know, a lot of it comes from my personal experience in my consulting and even prior to consulting, the vertical that I would work most with was in the health and fitness space. So whether that was in person, it was really (laughs) in the business of getting people off of technology and back into their bodies and, you know, and back into how they're feeling. And when I began to get more into consulting and uh, largely virtual consulting and working with clients remotely, what I noticed over time, as you probably also noticed, you know, having a, having a background uh, around Zen and around mindfulness and around an, an awareness of the meditation and body sensation is that 
I began to really become disconnected to how I was feeling Mm -hmm. and my own body sensations. And I became much more connected to, you know, what was happening (laughs) in cyberspace every single second of the day. And so, you know, on the one hand, it's why I'm on the payroll. But I I just (laughs) noticed over time that I began to lose my sense of even how long I had been clicking on different tabs in an internet browser or, you know, how I would feebly attempt to, you know, delete a, a, a social media app off of my phone, uh, you know, uh, like a Facebook or an Instagram or something like that. And, you know, day one, I really discovered the, <laughs> the severity of my addiction when it's like, oh boy, this is the 13th time this hour that I've, yeah. I've tried to open that app that I, you know, and I'm trying to, detoxify from. So I think, you know, just coming, it first really came from personal experience. And, you know, Robert, a lot of people um, work virtually, uh, some some people full-time, but certainly a lot of people are nowadays are working virtually for at least part of their day-to-day jobs and careers and even, you know, just kind of managing their personal lives. Uh, and so it's something that we need to shine a light on in terms of awareness, in terms of how it impacts us and our own social relationships uh, to really just uh, get the data in our hands so that we can be clear on how, you know, smartphone dependency or addiction can be having a negative impact on our lives. So it's interesting, you know, it's, it's very interesting. You, like me, actually, came to this first from your own experience and struggles with trying to stay focused while in a busy, demanding job that also requires you to be using technology all the time. Now, so you noticed it, and I wonder, what were some of the first things you started to try to do to address it? You know, maybe they, maybe they failed, maybe they didn't. Uh, I'm curious, I'm sure listeners would be curious to know, what, what did you start doing, and then what did did work or not work for you? Ironically, it, a lot of it was about being more diligent with my time and being more diligent with, you know, kind of the structure of the day. I think that happens to a lot of us virtually, you know, if we're, if whether we're online entrepreneurs, whether we are just, you know, we're business owners or perhaps working for ourselves or have flexible hours, you know, flexible hours can actually be working against us <laughs> in, in a way mm-hmm. in that, you know, it allows us to kind of have one foot in from a connectedness perspective all day long. So for me, I think one of the the biggest shifts after I realized that uh, it was just really not being mindful anymore around my use of technology and, you know, how it was all around me all the time and I was really just addicted to it all the time. I worked to create to create structure that kind of applied some boundaries to the day. Uh, and so for me personally, I kind of have four protocols. I hesitate to call them wellness protocols, but maybe even like uh, technology protocols. Sure, just sure. Kind of, you know, that just kind of uh, ensure that even when my nose is to the grindstone and mm-hmm. a lot of my deliverables are to be connected so that my clients and our clients don't have to be. Right. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. so from the client perspective, you know, that's great. They can, you know, they can be logged off and they can focus on what really matters. Um, And then for me, uh, my brain cells are rapidly turning to mashed banana, you know, (laughs) on my end. Um, So, so the four protocols. So I have a, I have a a wake up protocol, which is kind of an anti protocol. And it's just that for the first 20 to 30 minutes of the day, 
is that I'm, I'm not interfacing with any technology. And the very subtle shift that I've, I've talked about before that made all the difference was taking the phone out of the bedroom. I took the phone out of the bedroom and it was amazing to see, you know, for so many of us having our alarms on our, our smartphone or on our portable device, having just our entire lives on it, our calendar for the day. <laughs> you know, it's very easy to have that device be the last thing we look at before we go to bed for the evening and the very first thing we look at um, when we wake up or, you know, for it to be something that we look at before we even get out of bed. And so that's my my wake up protocol or anti-protocol, I guess you could say. So that's kind <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of step one. And then step two is like once I arrive to the co-working space or, you know, for anyone listening, once you arrive to where you're, you're going to kind of do your creation or your work for the day, then I have what's called a warm up protocol, which is just kind of getting me into a space of, okay, I'm going to be interfacing with technology for the next, you know, seven, eight, sometimes 10 or 11 hours, you know, and, and, Again, that's why I'm on the payroll, uh, you know, so to, so to rather to not be in the space of go on a retreat, just, you know, <laughs> detox, you know, for a lot of us, that's not realistic. Right. So taking a look at what am I about to do for the day, at what points of my day, especially working in media, my responsibility is to be looking at media and to be kind of watching what's happening and breaking news and all of that stuff. So, you know, at what times of day am I going to receive pending information or breaking information as it comes in? And then what other times of the day are really going to be about perhaps writing, tackling those big rocks that each and every one of us have for the day, you know? Um, at what point will I, you know, perhaps turn off the emails for an hour and focus on, okay, I need to you know, make progress on this project or make progress on this pitch that I'm writing or this article that I'm writing. And so I find that that warm-up protocol really helps to create structure that <laughs> otherwise it becomes kind of a David versus Goliath situation, you know, trying to go up against the internet and it's uh, how addicting it can uh, quickly become, you know, in terms of stimulation. Absolutely. So then, you know, we all kind of go through the work day. And then for me, the third protocol that I have for the day, uh, it's called a completion protocol. And it's probably been the most transformative for me personally. It is about really declaring for yourself and declaring to your brain, I guess you could even say, that you're done for the day. You're going to park it. Yes, there are 60 or 600 or 6,000 unread emails in your inbox, you know, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and it's going to wait until tomorrow morning, you know, and you kind of having that completion protocol in place. You know, I don't know the neuroscience about it off the top of my head, but it certainly helps my brain shift mm -hmm. out of this kind of hyper-connected mode or the, you know, that almost sometimes <laughs> even gets to like a, like a fight or flight quality, even like, Oh God, sure. you know, a new email for, I think for a lot of us. So to flip the switch off on that. And then finally, again, having a nighttime protocol, which is really similar to the wake up protocol that I mentioned earlier, where it's just ensuring that the last 20 or 30 minutes of the day, I'm not trying to Get the latest tweets. I'm not trying to beat the next level of Candy Crush. Uh, <laughs> you know, my life doesn't depend on it. You know, all of that. 
and it ends my day with mindfulness. So by kind of bookending the day with that, it, it can make a really big difference. This is this is awesome. I mean, I just want to want to repeat quickly back to people what you've said, mm-hmm. and I also emphasize this is something you've built out of your own experience. You've tried it, you've tested it. It works for you. You know, this is not just theory. You've got a wake up time when you have no devices for 10, 20 minutes. Then you have a warm up where you ease into it, create some structure, planning, intention for the day. At the end of the day, you have some clear point at which you're done. You're done with right with work. A bookmark, you called it, and then at a nighttime protocol similar to the like an opposite end of the wake up, where you're not going to have devices right before you go to sleep. I wonder if you can address, let's call it either the skeptics or the people who wonder a couple of things instinctively. How am I going to get all my work done if I take all this time doing these things? <laughs> or, or how is it actually going to work? I hear a lot of people when I talk about you know, recommendations, they say, I can't do these things. I don't have the time. I will fail. I will get fired. My clients will leave me. <laughs> you know, all of these horror stories. Mm-hmm. If I take any time you know, to not be constantly available and responsive, you know, what do you say to people who have these kinds of concerns? Absolutely. I think that a lot of it has to do, you know, with Parkinson's law, which I'm sure has been mentioned on this podcast before. It's, you know, that the work is going to expand to fill the time that's available. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, the reason that that is relevant in today's culture is because we're in this distraction culture. And our perception, I believe that our perception is we have less time than we actually have available. So when it comes back to that, looking through those rose-colored glasses of distraction in our lives, you know, we tell ourselves, oh, how on earth am I going to get all of this done? But when you know that you've got these hard boundaries of what's going to happen, distraction temptation, it, it begins to really plummet and begins to slowly make its way out of the picture. And for myself, I was surprised, I was, or I would say I was astonished at first <laughs> to discover that I was still able to get done everything that there was to get done. It just required that when it was time to be on, it was time to be completely on. And, you know, and that when uh, it was time to be off, it was time to be completely off. Yeah. I mean, you come back to mindful, you know, in mindfulness teaching, people say, right, when you're, when you're eating, be eating, when you're walking, be walking, right? Whatever you're doing, be fully, fully present in it. it. You know, what you're saying is just an example of that applied to, to our work lives. You know, it also makes me think there's something almost ironic about the fact that there, our culture has come to value what we see as the, the benefits of the liberation of the flexibility of the ability to work at any time, have information devices accessible, communication accessible to us at any time. And yet the kind of things you're describing, I think people 20, 30 years ago would have been very familiar with from the structure that was imposed on the usual kind of nine to five workday with a commute in between with work not even being accessible to you while you were at home. You had these kinds of transitional periods or what you call protocol just built into the way that most most work was structured. And now I hear you as talking about intentionally reintroducing these into your life, particularly if you're someone who's working for many clients, has many different demands, has the ability to access technology and information at other times, that if you're not going to be available all the time, it's going to have to be because you make that happen intentionally for yourself. 
I think too, Robert, that it has to do with the, you know, really the ubiquity of information, not just the internet, but really, I would say specifically social platforms. It's, uh, you know, 45% of people get at least some of their news from Facebook. So in terms of if you're wanting to stay in the know, if you're wanting to get a sense of uh, not the news, not just what happened in the world, but what happened, you know, at your friend's birthday party last week that you had to miss, that's the platform that you go to in order to get informed. Embedded in that information, though, is this... uh, let's just say the wheels are greased for you to scroll and scroll and scroll Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and to kind of fall into this mindless state and to fall into this, this addictive state because there are, you know, you're getting shots of endorphins. You're getting all of this excitement. Every single person's life is very exciting on social media. all the time. (laughs) So, So, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a, uh, it's a feedback loop, right? You, you get more excitement all the time. It's pleasurable in some way, maybe in a shallow way, but in a way that feels good. And then we, our brains are evolved to seek out more of that. And then it's there with social media. (laughs) Social media will never fail us when we seek out excitement on it, right? They will always find it there. So I think it's another situation where it's like if you're somewhere where there's sugar everywhere, if you're not going to eat it constantly, it's going to have to be because you make some sort of conscious effort or build a habit or build in the kinds of structures that you're talking about into your life. Right. And even from a a marketing perspective, you know, to speak about it from a business perspective as well, uh, is that the marketing needs to get more sugary. Too, Robert. It's it's kind of crazy, you know. But as as people's attention spans begin to dive, normally what would hook people effectively, even five to ten years ago, no longer gets the job done. Mm. And you know, in terms of specific consumer facing advances in technology, such as the rise of video, the rise of live video, the ubiquity of video, it's now it's to the point where if you know if content is not visually engaging right from the get-go, uh, you know, it's going to be quite a bit more difficult to get your message out to people and to even have people understand who you are and what you do, you know, from a business perspective. So that's, that's a unique challenge that when working with people, you know, there are a lot of uh, amazing authors, entrepreneurs, small business owners out there that, you know, have great services and products that improve our lives. And it, the game is changing in terms of how to make people aware of those services and goods, not because, you know, the services and goods are esoteric, but (laughs) because people's attention is just totally fried. So to figure out, you know, what that looks like, uh, it's a constantly changing landscape. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about that. I mean, are there any new techniques or ways of thinking about marketing now that are emerging that go in a different direction from the one that you talked about, which is which is the trend that we've seen, which is to amp up the excitement level more and more? I mean, I even remember, this is back in the 80s, there was someone not very well known, Jerry Mander, maybe an unusual or unfortunate name, came from the marketing <laughs> world. But he, he was writing about like the number of cuts you would see in uh, film and in television, that it was increasing. He tracked it over time, right? Uh, now, I mean, just look at a movie trailer today compared to 20 years ago. Is there a cut every second, maybe? <laughs> maybe more, you know, uh, lots of b- loud sound, lots of visual uh, stimulus. Why? For exactly what you said, people have gotten habituated to 
the stimulus that would have been sufficiently attractive to people in the past. How do we either, I mean, we've talked a little bit about how we as viewers or consumers of content might be able to break out of that loop. Is there any way for marketers to start changing things to not keep amping the level up? Well, I think it's interesting because you know the short answer is no. In that, you know, marketers will continue to amp that up more and more until probably everything will just become flashes of light, and that's it—just <laughs> strobe lights. That's all you're going to see. But you know, I think a lot of that comes from uh, these these personalities and thought leaders. Like Gary Vaynerchuk is a good example who talks a lot about how attention is the modern currency of mm-hmm. marketing. You know, can you hold someone? attention. If you can hold someone's attention, that is a currency that is very valuable. And then you have people that you want to be as far away from Gary Vaynerchuk as possible. You know? <laughs> and they're just like, that's too much. I, you know, it's, I'm, I'm overloaded. It's too much stimuli. So the important thing is that you know this marketing culture, the attention shortening culture, that is not going to go away. Things are going to become quicker. They're going to become more dynamic. You're going to get more and more of a visual assault from a marketing perspective. So it's figuring out how to get your people into your corner, whether it be a podcast, whether it be you know some sort of owned content where you can be helping people find the content that they really want to consume and get the information that they really need. Yeah, that's great. And I wonder from the point of view of the, I hate to call us consumers, but you know what I mean, you know, the people on the receiving end of marketing, you know, what else can we do in addition to these kinds of protocols, which I think are great that you talked about, to take that awareness of how the marketing landscape is changing, to try to grab more and more of our attention more aggressively over time, so that we can be protective of ourselves, you know, proactive. I think of it as like defensive driving, people used to call it in the, in the old days. You know, know, know what you're up against so that you can take preemptive measures. I mean, what other suggestions do you have for people to maintain their attention in the face of this? Well, the good news and the bad news is that it comes down to you and <laughs> taking responsibility with your own personal consumption. Um, and so uh, on the one hand, you're in control. On another hand, you're going to have to focus on detoxification, which can be uncomfortable from time to time, especially if you're not aware, uh, especially if you don't realize that you're, you know, checking apps while sitting at a red light, or if you are, you know, you're, you've got 20 tabs open, but you're not actually actually looking at any of them on your internet mm-hmm. browser, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's not our fault. We've been conditioned toward that through how media outlets and technology has had to adapt in order to outpace the competition. Everything is getting faster and faster and faster. You even look at older models of smartphones and things like that. And you look at just, you know, it's like, well, like, how could people use this? This screen is (laughs) tiny, you know, all of that. And so to really see over time that speed is inevitable, it's going to be on you to really ground your heels down and take responsibility for the consumption. Well, I think you raise a great point about the awareness. You know, even just being aware of what's going on is, is maybe half the battle. When I find myself getting sucked into things is when I lose that awareness. And it does happen to me as much as I focus on this topic, you know, uh, through the blog and the podcast and all my other work, I can lose awareness of that temporarily. And right, that's when I'm most susceptible 
to being sucked in by it. And once I regain the awareness and get back into my habits, you know, that that's a lot of the game right there. Absolutely. You know, I wonder if you if you have any parting thoughts or, you know, motivation for people who are just getting started at this, you know, maybe they're feeling totally overwhelmed and hopeless and like there's nothing they can do. Are there any small steps you'd recommend for people or, or ways to encourage them to be able to get more to the place where you are and see a light at the end of the tunnel? Well, I think going back to what we talked about before with the four protocols, it's taking one of those and implementing it just in a very small way. For me, the gateway drug was to take my phone out of the bedroom mm-hmm. and to you know lay down in bed at night and, and say, "Wow, you know, I'm so bored now that my phone is not here. I guess I'll just go to I guess I'll just go to sleep instead." You know, no, my phone's not here. When I wake up, I guess I'll just get out of bed instead. Oh. And so just kind of taking those those smaller steps, I think that another challenge to social media content is that it can sometimes give us the impression that we need to be superhuman mm. uh, and that we need to be adopting a puppy and going on vacation and getting a promotion all at the same time, <laughs> you know, doing at least that much every single day. And so to kind of uh, take a step back from that and to really not be so epic about everything, <laughs> but instead, you know, to take a, a small step and to notice the shift that that creates. So, you know, if I was going to suggest one action step, it would be, you know, taking the phone out of the bedroom or doing some sort of something with your smartphone that, you know, would surprise you. Okay, you're going out for coffee with a friend. Why don't you leave the phone at home (laughs) while you do that? And you might be really surprised at what happens. I I think of that example because the stats are that um, uh, about 50% of people uh, report feeling highly elevated anxiety <laughs> if, they, <laughs> if they leave their phone at home while they go somewhere, you know? So, so even just taking something like that, you know, surprise yourself and you'll notice how strong that desire is. And that's the beginning of our awareness journey. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think anytime people can take a small step and, and be aware of the fact that any small amount of progress, right, is still progress. I think there's something about our culture. Maybe it's the celebrity culture where people are seeking out, you know, to be a billionaire and feel that if they earned a dollar, then it's not, it's worthless. If it's not a billion, you know, it's the same kind of idea, mm. you know, that unless you can do everything, you're doing nothing. And so it's a, it's a great reminder that if you can take a small step in a positive direction and then be aware of and feel satisfied with the benefits, you know, that can be really, really motivating to, to keep going and also to feel some sense of accomplishment without having to feel like you've solved everything in your life at once before you've done anything, you know, worth feeling good about. Completely agree. And there's a lot of emphasis placed nowadays on social capital and kind of self-reporting, uh, you know, your entire life and that this notion of everyone has to have a personal brand that may or may not be a part of your professional pursuits. What's important to remember is that you can still take a step back and create boundaries and ensure, you know, at the end of the day, you're playing with an addictive substance. Mm-hmm. And, and that substance is, you know, the smartphone that's sitting in your pocket. It, just like with any other addictive substance, you know, it, it begins with boundaries and it begins with that awareness piece. Thanks so much. It's really awesome. I really appreciate the the very practical, concrete tips you've given drawn from your own life and experience and also for sharing a little bit of the inside of of the marketing world, you know, how that influences 
how we interact with technology and things that people can do to start um, protecting themselves, getting their time back, and get that feeling of spaciousness of time back in their lives. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Nick, for being on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. I really, really enjoyed it. Thanks, Robert. Thanks for joining us for this Technology for Mindfulness podcast with me, Robert Plotkin, and today's guest, Nick Wolney, a marketing and media strategist for coaches, consultants, and entrepreneurs. You can get more of Nick's digital decluttering tips and learn more about his work at nickwolney.com. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review, and share the episode with your friends. Don't forget to also check out our blog at technologyformindfulness.com for information and tips about science, technology, and mindfulness. You'll also be able to find out about our Tap Into Mindfulness course for helping you to take control of your smartphone at tapintomindfulness.com. I'm Robert Plotkin, and I'll join you next time on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast with relationship coaches Kyle and Rachel Wright. 